0: Welcome to Walking by Faith, where we believe that God's relevance extends to every aspect of our lives. Our goal is to empower you with the tools you need to grow in your faith journey, and that's why you can access Pastor's Notes in a snap. Download our app today to follow along. Satan wants something that rightfully belongs to God, worship. He will do anything to deceive and manipulate us into bowing to his wicked schemes, including using our own words. Our words carry immense power. Your very own words can be a double-edged sword, either a weapon against the enemy or a snare that leads to destruction. But we have an advantage, as Satan doesn't know our deepest thoughts or the amazing plans that God has in store for our lives. We possess a divine advantage, the element of surprise. Let's get ready to join the fight and equip ourselves against the enemy's schemes.
1: Well, today we're gonna to continue a series of messages that we just began on knowing your enemy. So the Bible tells us 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Least Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Many Christians, they, they live their life as if the devil does not even exist. And when that happens, the Bible says he will take advantage of you. We have to understand our enemy, know our enemy. How is he going to come? What things does he do? In fact, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith. So... First of all, what our culture would really tell us today is that the devil really does not even exist. When, when Jesus talked about the devil in the Bible, he was just placating some ignorant, ancient people. That is not true. The Bible tells us, Ezekiel chapter 28, that God created the devil. Now, he didn't create him as a devil. He created him as an angel, but he chose to sin and walk away from God. So he is not the sum of all evil. He is a malevolent, evil, wicked, spiritual being that is the enemy of your soul. And the Bible says, resist him. In James, it says, if you resist him, submit to God and resist the devil. Now listen, you can resist the devil without submitting to God and it's not gonna work. You need to submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. And and literally that word "flee" means to run and start terror. So I would like to say this, you do not need to be afraid of the devil because he is afraid of you. But what he's afraid of is that you'll find out who you are, what belongs to you, the authority that you have, and you will use that against him. So now look, he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, who does he devour? He devours passive people. If you do not resist, he will devour you. He devours ignorant people. And he devours people that participate with him. That opened the door to him. See, the Bible says, for example, it says, be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give Satan an opportunity. Some translations say, don't give him a foothold. In other words, when you let hatred, bitterness unforgiveness in your heart, it opens the door for the devil. You give him a foothold. You give him an opportunity. That's one way of participating with the enemy. So Jesus said, John ten ten, he said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That thief is the devil. He said, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly or abundant life. So what does the devil do? He comes to do three things, kill, steal, destroy your family, your kids, your soul, your body, your finances, kill, steal, destroy. But Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly. In fact, uh, it's in John, right after John 3, 16, where the Bible tells us he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world might be saved through him. So often people think all oh, the problems that come are, are literally from God. But this verse, really, I think we can call this the great divide. If it kills, steals, and destroys, it did not come from God. If it brings life and abundant life, it came from God. So we can say it really simple good God, bad devil. That pretty simple? Good God, bad devil. If you really grab a hold of this, I'm gonna tell you what I honestly believe. You know more than 90% of theologians because you really do have to have alphabet soup behind your name to mess this up. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, or abundant life. Uh, does, does the, let, let, I want to talk to you about some of the attributes of the devil. And I want to talk to you, hopefully today, even about standing against the devil. Now, the apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, a time and again... But Satan hindered us. So Paul said, "We wanted to come, we wanted to impart something to you. And we tried to do this not just one time, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Now one thing about, this is Paul. Uh, he wrote a, a little over 40 percent of your New Testament. Right? He went to heaven and came back. He saw Jesus, and he had problems with the devil. He said, we wanted to come, but but Satan hindered us. And and I wanna remind you, Ephesians 6 and verse 12, for we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Satan and demon spirits are evil, wicked, malevolent personalities, and they are our enemy. He goes on and it says the, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings, the evil, excuse me, the great evil princes of darkness who rule this world in a huge number of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So Paul says, we wanted to come, but Satan hindered us. There are times when the devil hinders things that we do. Now, I wanted to go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because one of the things that we hear a lot about um, is Paul's thorn, Paul's thorn in the flesh. So I'm gonna to talk to you about that for a minute and talking about how Satan hinders, Right? Paul says in the seventh verse, least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger, of Satan to buffet me lest i be exalted above measure concerning this thing. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. He's going to describe the infirmities in reproaches in needs, in persecutions, in distress. When it's talking here about infirmities, it's not talking about like we would use it today, is sickness. He defines infirmities as reproaches, needs, persecutions, distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, Years ago, Jeannie and I were were missionaries in, in Mexico. Um, I I went to places way back in the mountains. I mean, there was no road. You would walk three hours, six hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, up to 20 hours just to get to a place. I I remember getting to this place. Um, It was a miracle even that we we got lost on the way and uh, found ourselves under a canopy and they're growing marijuana everywhere. Now, now, this is 45 years ago, right? I, I didn't even realize, I was a 25-year-old dumb kid, you know. I didn't even know I was in trouble when guys came with machine guns, right, and asked us what we were doing there. And we told them we were lost. And uh, one guy held a machine gun on us. Well, some of the others went and decided what they were going to do with us. And they ended up letting us go pointing us in the right direction to the village that we were trying to get to. Get back to this village. I am talking, you are on the, you, you, you walk 20 hours. We get there, we sit down. The first thing they do is bring you a Coke. I thought, how in the world did Coke get here? <laughs> huh? And then we spent the night and we're in this little hut and there is a push, so what kind of a so, so image, sewing machine? a singer sewing machine. A Singer pedal sewing machine. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. Coca-Cola and Singer both beat the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, so I remember we're back in, in, in one of these villages. And uh, they're taking us from hut to hut to pray for people. And there's this guy. He's, he's, he's literally laying on like a... a not really even a bed or a cot, just something that they had made for him to, to, to lay on. He'd been there for several months, hadn't been able to get up. And I'm, we're talking with him, and he tells me he has Paul's thorn. And I thought, how did it get here? Did it ride a mule? What did, how in the world did it get here? But, but notice Paul said the reason for it was the abundance of his revelation. Right? He's been to heaven. And come back. Jesus has personally preached the gospel to him. And in this guy, he hadn't even read the New Testament. But he thinks he's got Paul's thorn. Right? And by the way, there's a lot of people that think they have Paul's thorn. Now, notice what it's it's a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Who sent this thing? Satan sent this thing. This is not something God sent. This is something the devil sent. And by the way, where it says a messenger of Satan, the the Greek word is angelos. It's used 188 times. In your New Testament, 181 times is translated angel. And and the other seven times it's translated as messenger. So literally what we have here is we have a angel of Satan, a demon spirit, right? that is sent to buffet him. Now, he goes on and he, he, he talks about these infirmities. Right? And none of them are a sickness because people tell me what Paul, in fact, theologians will tell you that Paul's thorn was eye problems. Uh, one theologian I read said it was a unbelieving wife that caused him all kinds of trouble. The Bible doesn't say any of those things. Paul says its reproaches, its needs, its persecutions, its distress for Christ's sake. And listen, as a believer, You are supposed to suffer, but you're supposed to suffer for the gospel's sake, for Christ's sake, for righteousness' sake, and for the kingdom's sake. Those are the reasons that you're supposed to suffer as a believer, and if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, it actually tells us that you're supposed to do right, right, do the right thing, and suffer for it. And it says this is pleasing to God. You know, the Bible says if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. A lot of people think that the Christian life is just going to be a flowery bed of ease. That is not true at all. So Paul has a messenger of Satan who sent to buffet him. Uh, That word buffet is the same word that's used when Paul is on this ship and it ends up in a sandbar and the waves are beating against it. Boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And the ship breaks up. It's buffeting the ship. So you say, what, what sort of stuff happened to Paul? Well, in Acts chapter nine, they're trying to kill him. And he has to be put in a basket in and in, in go up on the wall and be let down in a basket in order to escape the people trying to kill him. Again, in Acts nine, he's hindered from joining Christians. In Acts 13, He's literally opposed by Satan, by a demonic guy. And then it goes on, and he's opposed by the Jews. And then he's expelled from Antioch. In the 14th chapter, he's mobbed and expelled from Iconium. Again, later in the 14th chapter, he's stoned and left for dead. In the 19th chapter, he has problems with false brethren. 16th chapter, he's beaten and jailed. 17th chapter, he's mobbed and expelled from Berea. In the 18th chapter, he's mobbed at Corinth. In the 19th chapter, he's mobbed at Ephesus. In the 21st chapter, he's beaten by the Jews and arrested. In the 20, 23rd chapter, four, get this, 40 men take a vow that they will not eat until they've killed him. I've had people mad, but how many of you have had somebody that mad? And then, of course, in the 24th chapter, he's imprisoned as a political favor and forgotten. Then he goes and he's on this, he's been in prison for a few years. They put him on a ship. He goes through a hurricane, he's shipwrecked. There is also the the, the, the opposition that he had was demonic. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. And when we suffer for righteousness sake, for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom's sake, that's the way we're supposed to suffer. And his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for us. Again, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. So Paul's thorn is not problems with his eyes or an unbelieving wife. And when he's talking about infirmities, he's talking about the things that you go through for the gospel's sake for righteousness sake. And remember Jesus in Matthew chapter five says, rejoice, right? When they persecute you, when they speak all sort of evil against you, right? Rejoice for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, right? So the devil does hinder. The devil does attack. But in Paul's case here, what it is, is it is, a messenger sent to keep him from having influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he suffers for the gospel's sake, for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom's sake. And I know a lot of people think about the devil, and they think about he he, he just knows everything. Uh, that is not true at all. Remember, he is a fallen cherub angel. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 8, it says which none of the rulers of this age knew. Now, it's talking about Satan and demon power. For if they had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. If the devil had known God's plan of redemption, that Jesus was going to come and take our sins upon himself and redeem us, he would have never gotten behind the political figures that had Jesus crucified. Now, the thing uh, in in the the, the spiritual realm that that is extremely, extremely powerful, it's worship. In fact, when Satan comes to tempt Jesus, this is what he says in Luke chapter 4. Taking him up into a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomsoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. What was the devil after? He was after worship, and he is still after worship today. Anything he can do to get you to not worship God, to put anything else in the place of God, he will do. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 20, it says... Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Now, when, when what Paul is talking about here, he's saying with people that don't know God, they worship. They go and they sacrifice. And it might be an image. It might be a stone. It might be a tree. But they, are, they come and they worship and they sacrifice right? Now, these people are not stupid. If there was never any response to their prayers and to their worship and to their sacrifice, they'd walk away. But the Bible tells us they're sacrificing to an idol, but they're really sacrificing to a demon. In other words, when a object is worshiped, a demon spirit will get behind that object and receive the worship. And that demon spirit will do something for those people. They wouldn't go there 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, if nothing was happening. Something is happening. And the Bible says what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. The devil is always after worship. Even in Revelation chapter 13, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. The dragon is the devil. The beast here is the Antichrist. People are going to worship the Antichrist, but who's receiving that worship behind him? It's the devil. It says, and they worship the dragon, the devil, who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who's like the beast and who's able to make war with him? You'll find the same thing later in the chapter. Uh, they, the Bible says this, and he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. And he is the false prophet. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would not worship the image of the beast to be put to death. Again, what Satan is after is worship. Now, in our culture, you are probably not going to worship an image, right? But you can worship money. You can worship security. You can worship position. Anything that you put above God becomes an idol to you. And and really what the devil is trying to do is to get you away from God. Now... Again, when people think about the devil, they think about him as being extremely, extremely powerful. But when the devil came, I want you to think about this. He comes in Genesis chapter 3 to Adam and Eve. He does not come as an elephant. He doesn't come as an ape. He does not come and say, bow down to me or I will destroy you. He does not come as a powerful being. He comes subtly. He comes stealthily. He comes deceptively with lies, right? If, if he had the power that a lot of people think that he has, he would not have come stealthily. He would have come and he would have forced them, but he could not force them because he did not have the power and he did not have the authority to force them. He had to deceive them, right? So in Genesis chapter 1, and verse 26... God says, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion, authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh, It's in Psalms 115, I believe it's verse 16, where it says, the heavens of the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. God gave mankind the earth. Genesis 1 26, verse 28. God gives man dominion over the earth. And God said to man, chapter 2, verse 15, and the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend, to guard, and to keep it. To tend, to guard, and to keep it. Who's he guarding it from? He's guarding it from the devil. That's who he's guarding it from. In Psalms 8, It says, What is man that you're mindful of him, the Son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. How many things are under man's feet? All things. And by the way, it says here, You've made him a little lower than the angels. You can check this out, all right? The the Hebrew word there is Elohim, it's God. When they were translating it, they thought, ooh, if we read that, people, it's going to go to people's heads. So they put angels instead of God. How many of you know the devil is a fallen angel? And in the beginning, he was under man's feet. He was under our feet. He put all things under our feet. And man was God's prince. He was God's under ruler over the world. He had all this authority. Remember, the devil says, All the authority has been given to me. Who gave it to him? Adam and Eve gave it to him when they bowed their knee. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world, this world system, not the planet Earth but the system of this world the bible says don't be conformed to this world that's what it's talking about satan he is the ruler of this world system and jesus says he has nothing in me there was no foothold for the devil in john eight forty four, jesus said to the pharisees he says you're of your father the devil And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. When he comes, he comes to deceive. That's how he comes. And he doesn't come. He did not come super powerful. He came with deception. And, and, and in many ways, that is still true today. Now, in Ephesians, whoa. I'd like to back that clock up, but here we go. Ephesians chapter six. It says, above all, it's talking about literally, how do you stand against the enemy? Above all, above everything else that you do, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So when you're gonna stand against the enemy, you need the shield of faith to be able to stand against the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, we're gonna get there later, but let me just kind of jump ahead a little bit. In James chapter three, it's talking about the power of your tongue. And this is what it says in verse six it your tongue is set on fire by hell now where do those fiery darts of the wicked one come from a uh, lots of the fiery darts that the wicked one uses against us come out of our own mouth in proverbs 6 chapter 2 it says you're snared by the words of your mouth so you can say things that open the door for the enemy to come in And attack your family, your health, your finances, your soul. Through the words that you speak. Um, One of these days, I'm going to do an entire couple lessons on the the book of Job. But let me just share this. Job is attacked by the enemy. And this is Job 3.25. This is what Job said. For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Job had a fear, and he said, I feared a great fear. And the thing that I feared has come upon me. Now, let me just tell you something. When you've got something that's great in your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, when, when you are obsessed with something, when you're dreading something, right? you're talking about it. And he said, the thing that I feared is what came upon me. You know, fear instead of faith. It, it, fear is really like faith in reverse. We could say it's almost faith the, in the enemy's ability instead of God's ability. And he opened the door for Satan to come in. So often we're snared by the words of our mouth. Proverbs twenty-one, three: he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from trouble. Its words can bring trouble. They can be the fiery darts that the devil uses as an inroad into our life to attack our family, our marriage, our health, our finances. James chapter 3 says this. Uh, where should we start? We'll start with the second verse. I've got the Amplified translation here. It says... Teaching is a highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the highest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. Do you realize the only person that has really been qualified that God ever had worked for Him is Jesus? God always calls us to do more than we're qualified to do, right? We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. And if you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of his life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets the course in the face of the strongest wind. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. Now, notice he's saying that a ship going into a storm, the course is not set by the storm, but it's set by the helmsman, that little rudder in the back. And the Bible says your tongue is your rudder. So you go through a storm, And what determines the direction that you go is not the storm. It's supposed to be your tongue. Your tongue can go against that storm and take you where you need to go. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, set the whole world up in smoke and go up and smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. The Amplified Translation says it like this, "Did your tongue is set among your members, contaminating and depriving the whole body and setting on fire or in motion the wheel of birth, the cycle of man's nature itself being ignited by hell. It says that that the wheel of nature, the natural things, can be set in motion by your tongue, by your tongue. Whether we're talking blessing or we're talking sickness, infirmity, fear, dread, all of those things, the Bible says your tongue is set in your body like the the, the helmsman of a ship, that little rudder, decides where it's going to go. And the Bible says your tongue, what the devil wants to do is use it against you to set yourself, your, your, yourself your, your life in the direction you do not want to go. Set on fire by hell. Those fiery darts of the enemy can come out of your tongue. Is one, one of the key ways that, that Satan will attack us. So Philemon, verse 6, there's just one chapter. It says that the communication of your faith may become effectual, may become operative, may become supercharged by the acknowledge of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You need to know who you are in Christ, and you need to say so. You know, the Bible, the, the devil will try to bring up your past, but you need to know. That if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the Bible says the outward man perishes, but the inward man. Your spirit is renewed every day, day by day. The Bible says that he made him that knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. See, when the devil comes to condemn you, you need to begin to confess what the word of God says about you. And the Bible says about you that you are the righteousness of God. That at the cross, Jesus is on that cross and Jesus, excuse me, God takes your unrighteousness and puts it on Jesus and takes Jesus' righteousness and gives it to you. You are made the righteousness of God. When the devil tries to condemn you, if you know who you are, it won't work. The Bible says in Colossians 1 in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The Bible tells us God qualifies you for every promise of God. You are qualified, not because of what you did, because God the Father qualified you. And then it goes on and tells us that he delivered you out from under the domain, the kingdom of darkness, and put you into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Everything that's a part of Satan's kingdom does not belong in your life. And you and I need to begin to confess what belongs to us, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. And when you confess those things, You see, the reason so many Christians never walk in victory is they do not have the boldness to speak out who they are in Christ. The Bible says that's how you literally activate your faith. And let me remind you, Jesus said, you will have whatsoever you say. You know, when you begin to say who you are in Christ, those things begin to operate in your life. And we as believers need to recognize the enemy is going to try to use our tongue. But God gave us our tongue to use. This is what Jesus said. Let me close with this. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So God's word was first a spoken thing. It proceeded where? Out of the mouth of God. So it was first spoken, then it was written. And it was written so you could speak it. You look, is exactly what Jesus did. Every time the devil showed up, Jesus spoke the word of God. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then you'll make your way prosperous, you'll have good success. Don't let the devil use your mouth. Put your mouth to work. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does faith say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we preach, all right? The word of blessing, the word of healing, the word of deliverance, the word of peace, it's in your mouth and in your heart. So you've got to have a connection between what's in your mouth and what's in your heart. You've got to connect those two. And when you do, the spiritual realm begins to take over. And what you don't see in the natural comes from the spiritual world into the natural world. Romans again, 10 verse 8, says there's a miracle in your mouth. But what does faith say? The word of healing, the word of salvation, the word of deliverance, the word of peace. It's in your mouth and in your heart. We need to get those two working together. Hey, as you've been watching today, I'm so glad that you've joined us. And I want to ask a simple question. Do you know for sure that you're right with God? That you're on your way to heaven? The Bible says we've written these things that you may know, that you have everlasting life. Often I ask, do you know? And they say, well, I hope so. I'm trying. But Jesus said this. He said... I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying he is the only way anyone gets right with God. He's saying all of the good things I could do could never make me right with God. All the good things you could do could never make you right with God. But he is the way. So the Bible says whosoever, that's you, that's me, will call on the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to pray with you. and We're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is the promise will be saved when we pray this prayer, when we call on his name, the way the Bible shows us the Bible says, we're going to be saved. Now that means we're going to be forgiven. That means we're going to be a part of God's kingdom forever and ever. So I'm going to ask you, pray this prayer with me out loud. Make these words your own. Just pray and say, Oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive him as my savior and as my king, and I'm going to live for him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer, and you're right with God. And we have a book that we've written to help you keep on growing spirits. They wanna give it to you free of charge. All the information's right there on your screen. And I wanna thank you so much for being with us today.
0: If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Duane, congratulations. You're making one of the best decisions of your life. We are so excited for you. Just like Pastor said, we'd love to send you a free copy of his book, Your New Life. Log on to walkingbyfaith.tv where you can have a copy mailed to you. Download it instantly or check out our audiobook. You can also find all these things on our app. This free book is a great resource as it's full of practical advice and encouragement to help you live a life of faith. Claim your free copy today. Walking by Faith is changing lives and we want you to be a part of it. Your gift will help us continue to produce inspiring content that encourages people to change the way they think and empowers them to use their voice. When you sow into God's kingdom, He will pour out His blessings upon you, just like it says in Malachi 3.10. There are three easy ways that you can give. Text WBF Give to one 364 give Visit walkingbyfaith.tv give or click on the giving icon in our app. Thank you for your support. Are you ready to outsmart the devil and claim victory in your life? Pastor Dwayne's book, 21 Things the Devil Cannot Do, is the ultimate guide to stop the enemy in his tracks. Discover the devil's limitations and unlock the power within you with this practical and empowering guide. Don't miss out. Get your copy today at walkingbyfaith.tv and step into a life of triumph over the forces of darkness. Are you ready to take a stand? Are you ready to wield the sword of truth? The devil may try to hinder us, but he can never overcome the strength of our faith. If you're in need of prayer for any reason, we would love to connect with you. By scanning this QR code, you can send us a prayer request, download our app, read our weekly devotional, and so much more. To rewatch today's episode with closed captions, you can now find us on Rumble. We pray you have a wonderful and blessed week. We'll see you next time.